You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and uh, so glad that you're joining us, especially if you're uh, just visiting uh, or if you've uh, kind of just returning to church after being away for a long time or perhaps just exploring the faith at all. We just love that you're here. Hope that you feel encouraged in, in your exploration or in your, in your journey uh, and know who Jesus is and, and uh, know that we're, we're a group of people that aim to be a safe place to ask questions and explore, and we just love that you're here. Well, uh, as we get started this morning, uh, let me remind y'all, um, back in 2008, there was a hurricane that hit the Galveston area. Y'all remember that hurricane? Hurricane Ike. Yeah. And uh, that, uh, that hurricane, it, it, it hit Galveston and devastated much of that region. But the hardest hit area was a little town named uh, Gilchrist, Texas. And then Gilchrist, Texas, right on the coast, uh, just kind of just flattened the whole area, except for, as you can see in this picture, um, one house. And this, is, uh, this was a picture taken uh, from the helicopter, and it's, uh, you know, it's not a hoax, people thought, when uh, blasted all over the TV screens throughout the nation, CNN, everybody showing this one picture, uh, they thought, man, this is a hoax, but it's not a hoax. There's, there's just one, one house standing in this whole area. And this house, we know now, is owned by uh, Warren and Pam Adams, and it was a recent build. They had built it right, uh, just kind of finished up within the year of when the hurricane hit using the latest building technology, what building materials use, how to tie down the, the beams to the foundation. And as you can see, uh, it, withstood, it withstood the storm. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're, if you're this guy and you decide that you're going to rebuild, whose builder are you going to use? <laughs> right? I mean, no surprise, but everybody wanted to use Warren and Pam's builder because, you know, they withstood the storm. This picture reminds me of uh, Daniel. As we've been uh, studying over the last five weeks, and we're bringing it to a close today, uh, we've been looking at the life of this guy who, when he was 15 years old, was exiled from his homeland and, and Judah and from Jerusalem to, to Babylon. And then where he was raised and all the way to what we saw last week when he was 80 years old, and we'll see this week into his 80s, that he somehow managed to withstand the storm of his entire life. I mean, the guy lived in a storm, withstanding the pressure to succumb to uh, the cultural values of his city that he was growing up in, instead of being faithful to his God, going with the way of the culture. But he withstood that pressure. But he also withstood another strong pressure that could knock him off another course, which would be that he would have chosen to, to seclude himself, to withdraw from the culture, to, to hide or close himself off. But instead, he fully engaged served faithfully, loved people well. And as a result of his life, after 80 years of withstanding the storm and, and remaining faithful to God and loving people well, at the end of his life, as we're going to see today when we come to the end of Daniel 6, 
People around him said, how, do you, how have you remained standing? I want to know your builder. I want to know your creator. I want to know your sustainer. See, guys, this series we've been in, it's all been about how do we remain faithful? How do we live faithful lives to God? And yet at the same time, simultaneously engage our culture and love people really well. And it's not easy to do. But man, it is so important. Because just like with Daniel, we've seen throughout this series, God has us where he has us on purpose. And that when we will remain faithful to him and engaged with our culture, loving people well, then one of the things that can happen, that one of the things that happens often is that people get a picture of what God is like. And God is put on display and people end up saying, I want to know, I want to know who your God is. I want to know what your God is like. So this morning, as we kind of bring this series to a close, we're going to just really press down on this, this theme. What's it look like to live faithfully while loving well? And though the whole series has been about that, today I want to try to get practical, as practical as possible, so that we can really have some examples of what this looks like so that we, by God's power, can engage in this way, remaining faithful to God and loving people well in our culture, that they could get a picture of what God is like. And so here's where we're going this morning. We're going to kind of hit on three things. One, what is living faithfully while loving well? What does it look like? Then what does it display? And then how is it possible? So let me pray and then we'll jump into this. Heavenly Father, God, we do just turn to you and ask for you to uh, speak to us through your word, or that you would help us understand more fully, Lord, uh, uh, what it looks like to, to remain faithful to you and love well, and Lord, that we would be moved by you to, to do that faithfully so that you people know you, and then, God, that uh, you would show us how it's possible for your glory, God, and the good prosperity, the peace of our city. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so if you will, go ahead to Daniel 6. You can go there on your Bible or your phone or whatever. I also have the words up here for you. But before I get to that, let me give you a little context, all right? Because if you were here with us last week, you'll remember that Daniel 5 concluded with the Persian army conquering Babylon and killing the king Belshazzar. And, uh, and so now the Babylonians are no longer in power. There's a new ruler. Uh, the guy we know here is King Darius. And there's a, a, a new empire in power, the Medo-Persian Empire. And so once again, Daniel, who is now, as I alluded to earlier, now well into his 80s, finds himself the captive and the servant of another king and yet another empire. And it's in that context that we are given a very practical example, some very practical examples of what it looks like to live faithfully while loving well. So let me read these first five verses and I'll make some observations. Jump in with me. Daniel 6, verse 1 says this It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. 
And the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against the man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So, Okay, these verses, I'm going to pause here because you know, kind of they set the stage for everything else that happens in this chapter. So make sure you, you understand what's going on. you got you know, a new king ruling an expanded giant empire, what used to be the Babylonian Empire, now the Medo-Persian Empire. And, and so he says, okay, i got, I got to figure out a governmental structure that's going to work for this. So he, he sets up these 120 satraps, think governors, all right, that's going to help him kind of govern his giant area. And then above the governors, he puts these three administrators. And Daniel is one of those. So you got the king, you got the three administrators, you got 120 satraps helping the, the, the king, you know, rule. And then we're told that as, you know, perhaps I guess some time had passed, the king has observed Daniel and says, like, by his exceptional qualities, how his exceptional service, the king's like, no, man, this guy is amazing. I need to make him actually, like, set him up to be the, over the whole thing. So it's going to be me and then Daniel and then everybody else under him. Of course, that causes the other guys, the other satraps and, and, and administrators to get jealous. They don't like that Daniel's about to be promoted above them. And so they concoct this plan to come after him. Now, good, got to understand that. But there's also something else that you need to see in these verses, specifically when it comes to what we've been talking about in this series, what it looks like to... Live faithfully to God, be faithful to God while loving well. There's a number of things that we see here, very practical, some helpful examples for us of what that looks like. And I just want to point them out to you. Let me give you three of them right off the bat in these five verses. The first one is this. It looks like serving exceptionally. It looks like serving exceptionally. It looks like serving with integrity. And it looks like serving God publicly. Like when I say serving exceptionally, exceptional means like to, to a greater degree than expected or what's normal. And that Daniel, like the guy, the guy is serving in such an exceptional way that the, that, that the king says, I want to make you above everything else. And like, man, we look at this and think, this is a very practical way to be faithful to God and, and to love others. And I want to be clear about this. This does not mean be a workaholic, and this does not mean be a perfectionist, but this does mean that you do your work really well. And you got to figure out what that looks like in your context, but there's, there's something here, very practical, practical example of what it looks like to live faithfully while loving well, along with doing your work with integrity, being trustworthy, not being corrupt, and then doing it publicly, connecting it to your faith in God publicly. Like, listen, why do you think Daniel, who by this time, again, in his 80s, and serving yet under another king and another empire, why do you think that he was still serving so exceptionally that the king would want to promote him to second in command? 
And why do you think that he was serving with such great integrity that when people tried to start digging up dirt on him, to quote it, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Why do you think that's the case? Well, friends, I would say it's, it's because Daniel knew that a key way for him to be faithful to God was by following God's instructions in Jeremiah 29, which we keep coming back to in this series. But in Jeremiah 29 is when Jeremiah, the prophet, speaking for God, writes to the exiles, writes to those exiled to, 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 uh, from Jerusalem to Babylon and says, here's what God's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which I have brought you. And Daniel, knowing that that's the reason God had brought him to Babylon, says, okay, I'm going to be faithful to God by doing my work really well and doing my work with integrity. For Daniel, there was no such thing as a sacred and secular divide, you know? Like all of his work was ministry. All of his work was sacred. And guys, the truth is, yours is too. And this is like extremely practical. But when you want to talk about, what does it really look like to love, I mean, to live faithfully to God and love people well? Like, doesn't it make sense that that would apply like when you go off to work or you go to school or you're in the group project with people, you're at that internship and you're like, how do I engage people here? Well, I'm going to do a good job and I'm going to do it with integrity. That's one way you're faithful to God. That's one way you love people well. And it really packs a punch, if you will, when you connect your behavior with your beliefs because your beliefs drive your behavior. And you say, so I'm going to make sure that people understand the reason that I'm trying to do my work exceptionally and the reason why I'm doing my work with integrity isn't because I'm out in it for myself, for my self-promotion, but because of what I believe so connect it to your faith with God. That's what has happened with Daniel. And verse 5 clues us in that Daniel was public about his faith to the point that those who were jealous of Daniel's rise in the governmental rankings realized that the only way they could bring him down was by pitting his faithfulness to God against the king. See, they understood what drove Daniel's behavior was his belief in God. Connect, that he clearly connected for them. The reason why he did what he did was because of what he believed. What he believed. And so they knew that's how they go after him. Do, do, do those that you work with, that you work for or who work under you, do they understand the reason that you work hard and the reason that you have high integrity is because of what you believe, or do they just think you're in, in it for a promotion? See, Daniel, he, he made those connections, and it helped him. It actually put him in a position to be able to use, be, be used powerfully by God, as we'll see as this passage goes forward. Of course, those that he was serving with, they, they, didn't, you know, they didn't like that he was getting promoted, so they concocted this plan to go after him. And let's pick up in verse 6. Here's what it says. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, uh, prefects, satraps, advisors, governors, have all agreed that the king should issue an edict. And then and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human uh, being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. 
Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went upstairs, wrung his hands, and tried to decide if he would obey. Not what it says. I don't know if any of y'all are following along. Um, but isn't it, it's not what it says because, you know, you would think that this would be a giant thing for Daniel. And I'm, and I'm sure it was. I mean, it's no small thing to decide that, okay, I'm going to do something that's going to get me thrown into a lion's den. But as far as, like, a crisis of faith, that's not how this passage goes and explains Daniel's reaction. In fact, here's what verse 10 really says. It says, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. I love that last part, just as he had done before. Um, Again, I don't mean to downplay that this is a big deal. But for Daniel, I don't think that it was a giant crisis. Because, you see, if you remember, you've been tracking with us in this, this whole series. Back when he was 15, exiled to Babylon, he made the decision. Remember with the king's food, that whole deal? Right from the, get, right from the start, he said, you know what? I'm going to trust God for my protection. I'm going to trust God to provide for me, to sustain me, to look out for me. And so when he's 80, after making that decision when he's 15, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, until you're 80, that's a lot of agains. When this comes in, he's like, yeah, like, you know, this is old hat. Like, yeah. I mean, God, he can see me through this. And if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. I trust God to see me through it, either to get me through this or to see me to the other side. He's got me. And so immediately, he hears this decree, and what's he do? He's <laughs> Oh, I can't pray to anyone but the king? Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to pray. I'm going to open up the windows like I always do. I pray towards Jerusalem. Everyone can see me. I'm just going to pray. And he says, it says, when he prays, he gives thanks to God. Let me see again. Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned the decree he has published, he went home in his upstairs room where he, windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Just as he's done before. Like, really? Thanks? You're going to give thanks? Yeah, he gives thanks to God. He prays for help. Guys, what do we see here when it comes to living faithfully while loving well? Another practical example of what this looks like is that it looks like, it's like serving God courageously. It looks like serving God with courage. Knowing like, okay, if it comes down to obeying God or obeying others or obeying God or doing what I think could look out for myself, I'm going to go with God every time. When it, when it comes down to, okay, I'm either, I can either obey God or I can do something to try to save faith or save my position or guarantee me a job or a promotion or even perhaps in this case, save my life, I'm going to go with Obeying God. 
And trust that God can see me through whatever happens next. Trust that my life is in better hands, as we talked about last week, and being in God's hands than being in my own hands. So I'm going, I'm going with God. But when you choose that, it can come with consequences, right? Which is what happens for Daniel. We'll pick up in verse 11. Then those men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And so they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed, and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Now, quick note, the king, the king wanted to save Daniel, as you can see here. The king loved Daniel. Why? Because Daniel loved the king. The, Daniel served the king exceptionally. He was a fan of the king. The king was a fan of Daniel. That's, that's just a part of, of who, like, loving well. It's a sign of that. But then verse 15, Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So, verse 16, The king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in his anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Okay, of course, this is one of the most famous stories in, in all the Bible, right? But I'm, I'm not actually going to spend a lot of, a lot of time here. Uh, and it's not because I don't, like, I want to downplay this miracle. This is an amazing miracle. This is absolutely incredible. I'm going to get back to it in a minute. But here's the truth. Look, in our lives, I don't know how many of us can really relate to this situation, I don't think any of us are going to find ourselves in a lion's den unless you end up having a really bad day at the zoo, and I hope that doesn't happen to you. And so I don't want to exactly really focus on what happened, but what here I want you to I want to point out how Daniel responded to what happened. Because though we might not be able to relate being thrown to lions, all of us can relate to being treated unfairly. But look how Daniel responds. And guys, this is another just very practical example of what it looks like to live faithfully and, and love well. Here, here it is. It, it, it looks like treating people respectfully, no matter what. 
no matter what. Because, look, the king just threw him into the lion's den where he was supposed to die. And the king comes rushing out the next day and asks if he's alive. And what are the first words out of Daniel's mouth? May the king live forever. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking if that's me in the lion's den, I'm, think, I'm saying, yeah, I'm alive. No thanks to you and your giant ego. You want everyone to pray to you. You can't even get lions to kill me in your face. I'm the lion king. <laughs> that's probably what I would say. But Daniel says, no, no, may, may the king live forever. And then he goes on to explain how God saved him, how God rescued him. I, that's really convicting to me. When people treat you poorly, does that give you an excuse to treat them poorly? If you ask my nine-year-old boys, the answer is yes. Apparently, if you ask anybody on Facebook ever, the answer is yes. Guys, in your job, in your neighborhood, in your friend group, if I want to get, like, really step on toes, and Daniel used to see it again and again with people in authority, the king, you don't like them, they do something that is wrong, disrespectful, Daniel treats them with respect no matter what every time. And guys, let me be clear. That doesn't mean that you can't say what they've done is wrong. That can't mean that you can't call someone out for, for, for something that's, that is unjust. But you can do that respectfully or you could do that in a disrespectful way. Daniel treated people respectfully every single time. It's a part of living faithfully while loving well. Treating people with dignity because every single person matters to God, made in his image, and therefore inherent dignity and worth. And therefore, I will treat them with respect. Living faithfully, loving well. Oh, my king, live forever. Because if you want to know what remaining faithful to God while loving people well looks like, just on a very practical side of things, just a few examples, it's right here. It's serving exceptionally, going beyond what's expected as a way to serve God and love people. It's serving with integrity. It's being trustworthy and not being negligent or corrupt. It's connecting those things to your faith in God. The reason I do this is because of what I believe and how God has served me. It's choosing to follow God no matter what it costs you, while at the same time remaining respectful to those who oppose you or seek to harm you. And guys, when you live that way, you gain the opportunity to have a profound impact. Because when you're living that way, you're displaying something. What are you displaying? You are displaying God's character. See, when you live faithfully to God and you love people well, you're giving people a picture of what God is like. I mean, just look at how this passage ends. Picking it up in verse 24. At the king's command... 
the men who falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Like, don't get on the bad side of a Medo-Persian king. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and the peoples of every language and all the earth. Don't miss that. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and the peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever and his kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. That's how wild is that? Key verse for our church family is Habakkuk 2.14. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And here you have, as a result of Daniel living faithfully to God and loving well, staying engaged in his culture for his entire life, near the end of his life, you have the king issuing a decree to all the nations in every language. Here's what God is like. And the reason he knew was because Daniel had put his God on display. King says he's the living God, alive and active in the world today. That he's the everlasting God, that his reign never ends. In this book of Daniel, you've got kings that come and kings that go. You've got empires that come and empires that go. But God is still on his throne. And that he is the God who rescues and saves. That he saved Daniel from Nebuchadnezzar. He he saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. He saves Daniel from the lion's den. That he is mighty to save. That he is the God who rescues. King Darius looks at Daniel and says, Man, I want to know your builder. I want to know your creator. And I want everyone to know your creator. And so I'm issuing a decree for everybody in the world to reverence him. Five years ago, I, uh, I went to a conference in Chicago. And in that conference, at that conference, I heard this guy speak. And his name was Don Flo. And he, this guy, he, he owns uh, car dealerships. And um, he in the, actually, his dad did. He inherited these car dealerships. And he was uh, sharing about how... When he kind of took over the business, he was just very convicted that he's going to needs to, to run the business in a way that displayed what God was like. And so he, you know, to use the terms I've been using today, he decides he wanted to make sure he ran his business in ways where he served exceptionally and with integrity, treating people respectfully and connecting it to his faith in God publicly and serving in a way that would require him to be courageous because he was going to serve in such great ways that God would have to really come through to make it possible. And Man, as a result of what this guy's done, he's been putting God's character on display in, a, in amazing ways. When he shared uh, it, five years ago, it's just stuck with me. And to me, Don represents a modern-day Daniel. 
And so I want to show you this video because his story is so powerful. A a group from uh, Seattle Pacific University heard about a story, came over all the way to the northeast to videotape Don and put it on video and capture the story because it's just such a powerful story. And so I want you to, to see this as another just like just you know, grass level example of what it can look like to live faithfully while loving people well and how it can put God on display. So watch, watch this. I began to develop kind of some basic premise and one of them was that uh, what space had God given me to have influence? What does it mean for me to actually live love in that setting? And what does it mean to actually bring hope to these people's lives and encourage them as people? Everything that we do is, is, is about building trust with our customers. And, and I think Don has done a good job of instilling that in his management and his leaders in the company, how we take care of our customers, how we take care of each other's employees, and also how we look to serve the community that we, uh, that we live and work in. This is, for a lot of people, the second most, and for some people, the most expensive purchase they're ever gonna make. So to me, what's different about that is that we care that we're gonna affect their whole life if we do this wrong. If we looked in terms of biblical language and said, what do we wanna be about? How does that give expression to what we're trying to do now in terms of what would be animating the, the culture or our ethos inside of our business? We said the first thing has to be trust. And, it, and to be a person that our organization is trustworthy, we have to ask, what does that actually mean? If you came in for service, what would that look like? If you came in and bought a car from us, what would that look like? And we deconstructed everything we did in the business, everything all the way. So you entrust your car to us, and you're at a really disadvantage. You don't know anything about cars, and you can't get around if you don't have a car. So it's pretty easy for somebody to take advantage of somebody else. What would that look like for us to say that could never happen here? And we came out and said, we can only give you one estimate. And so we came back with more than we had to, we had to basically eat that. It means that we, if we didn't fix it right the first time, you never paid again. It meant that you couldn't be inconvenienced. We'd go pick up your car and bring it back to you. And the price that we quoted would never be more than that, no matter what. No matter if we made a mistake or not, it'd be done one time. Some of the things that people experience out in the industry um, is just the, the hiding of information. We do the opposite. We want to tell them every single thing. So us being profitable is not about us having more information than the customer. It's about us giving value and, and providing a really, really fantastic service for people, not only when they buy their car, but long after when they service their car. If negotiation is basically based on asymmetrical knowledge, in the sense that I know something you don't know and I can use that against you, then we can't do that anymore. So we changed the whole way cars were priced, how we came to market. Instead of starting at the top and negotiating down prices, we came right up front with the price. We looked at the way we appraised cars too. We went to the open books. You can see how we arrived at the price. In the financing world, long before there were caps on financing, we said we have to cap it. Doesn't make any difference what the law is. We have to cap it because we said your ability to negotiate should not determine the price you pay. It should be the same offer everybody gets. Warranties on our used cars, we put a 100,000 mile warranty on a used car. So we have to figure out how to manage that cost. So that meant we had to get better reconditioning. So we developed very detailed process so we knew with confidence the car would really last. And then we put a money back guarantee because we said that's what you would if you're a neighbor. You'd be able to offer something back again. And uh, people said, I must be crazy. <laughs> they do all that. They said, well, if I said I was really going to treat a person like my neighbor, 
or like a guest in my home, that's what I would do. So why aren't we doing that? How do we kind of re-engage in the trust relationships? Trust has underneath it keeping your promises, always regardless of the cost. It means that you would never advantage yourself to the disadvantage of another. It means there can never be any language that's manipulative, deceptive, or puts you at a disadvantage. Faith is something we actually exercise. It's not an abstract concept. And so how do we actually exercise faith? And love is something we actually live. It's not an abstraction, all right, so, but it's actually a lived movement in life. And hope is something we actually bring in our very presence. And so we want to connect those to people's lives and say, how do we help this be a place that's worth believing in? How is this a place where you believe you make a contribution and you make a difference in what you do? And how can this be a place where you feel connected as a human being? I love that. Yeah, show that video to you because I want you to go buy his cars and uh, no, no, I have no connection to him. <laughs> not, not advertising for this guy. I show you this video because I think it's a helpful, practical example. I get down into the nitty-gritty. What does it look like to live faithfully, love well? And I think about, okay, how, how, do, I, how do I serve exceptionally? How do I treat people respectfully in, in my job? How do I connect that publicly to God? It's really powerful. And that the, the stories have come out of this from both those that he serves in the community as well as the, his employees that down at this at this uh, conference where I heard him speak, he says he often is asked, like, well, God, Don, why do you run your business this way? And he says, I love that question. I get to, I get to answer. And, you know, just par paraphrasing, he said, this is his answer. He says, as a Christian, I, I tell them, as a Christian, I know that all people matter to God. And they matter so much that God served us in the most excellent way by sending Jesus to die for our sins. And so as his follower, I want to treat people like he treats people and serve them as well as I can. As he, he, he's put God's character on display, and it's having a profound impact. Let me ask y'all, in your everyday life, in class, study groups, work, home life, neighborhood hangouts, whatever it might be, are people gaining a growing knowledge of the glory of God, what God is like, by how you are living and loving. See, in the book of Daniel, we learn that God has you where he has you on purpose. And his purpose is to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And when you hang on to him, and you refuse to be blown by the powerful winds of culture to, to leave him, and yet at the same time you don't walk away from culture, but you hang on to the people. You hang on to culture and you say, okay, I'm not letting go of either one of these things. Then over time, friends, it gets you a position to display the character of God that he can use to powerfully make himself known and draw people to himself. Are you living faithfully while loving well? Of course, it's super hard to do, right? It's super hard to do. Of course, of course it is. So as we wrap up this series, let me just hit one more point, and that's this. What makes it possible? What makes living faithfully while loving well possible? And if I was to sum it up in five words, <laughs> the five words would be, knowing God is with us. 
What makes it possible is knowing that we're not in this alone. It's knowing God is with us. I mean, think about it with Daniel, right? Like Daniel, he hears this decree. How does he respond? He goes and prays. Why does he pray, friends? Because he knows God is with him. He knows he can talk to God. He knows God knows what's going on in his life. And then when he prays, he gives thanks. Why does he give thanks? Because he knows that God's up to something. And I'm sure that there is at least some aspect of Daniel that's like, all right, God, what are you going to do now? I remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was amazing. What, What are you going to do here? Maybe you'll save me. Maybe you won't, but you're going to make yourself known. You've promised that. What are you up to here? And he gives thanks because God's active. And then he asks God for help. Why? Because he knows God can help. He knows that God is alive and active. He knows God is with him. And then what happens in the lion's den? Of course, God is with him. God sends his angel, closes the mouth of the lions. Then the king comes and says, did your God, was your God able to save you? And his response is, yes, God saved me. And both Daniel and the king give glory to God. Why? Because they know God was active. God was present. God is with him. That's why, friends, I'm so excited about this next season of church, as, as Justin said earlier, going into this 33 days of prayer and praying that God is with us because one of the most powerful things that we can do to help remind us and grow our confidence in the fact that God is with us is for us to pray, for us to talk to God each day, for us to be reminded of our dependence on him and that he hears our prayers and that he's active and moving in our lives and in our world. So, man, I'm so excited about this. I really ask that y'all would all participate, that God would use this. My prayer for this is that God would use this to grow our confidence, that God is with us, and that he would make himself more fully known to you and to the city of Austin as a result. Daniel prayed because he knew God was with him. Daniel remained faithful to God and loved people well because he knew God was with him. And God enabled him and empowered him to do so. And friends, there's one more thing in this book that helps us know that God's with us. You see, in the book of Daniel, Daniel is not just this awesome guy, right, that, that had incredible faith and did some really cool things. He is all of that, <laughs> but he also is something else. That Daniel serves to us as a bit of a shadow, if you will, of the one who can save the entire world. I love what Ian DeGeed says in his commentary in the book of Daniel. He puts it this way. He says, like Daniel, Jesus was falsely accused by his enemies and brought before a ruler, Pontius Pilate, who sought unsuccessfully to deliver him from his fate before handing him over to a violent death. And like Daniel, Jesus was condemned to die, and his body was placed in a sealed pit so his situation could not be changed by human intervention. Jesus' trial went even deeper than Daniel's, however. He did not merely suffer the threat of death. He went down into death itself. Although Jesus was innocent, he suffered the fate of the guilty ones. And there was no angel to comfort him with the presence of God in his pit, On the contrary, he was left in the blackness, utterly alone and abandoned by God, suffering the fate that we, the guilty ones, deserved. 
His body was left entombed into this icy grip of death for three days before the angel finally came to roll away his stone. And when Daniel came out of the pit, he knew it was because God had saved him. But when Jesus came out of his pit, it was so we can know God has made the way to save all of us. And through faith in him, we can know that we are saved forever reconciled to God, eternally guaranteed that he will never leave us or forsake us, for he has brought us to God. And friends, we can know that God is with us because of the one that Daniel points us to, Jesus Christ, who died in our place to ensure that we could be brought to God and that God would be with us forever. So this morning, we're going to end in communion. And as we take communion, may we remember Jesus' body broken for us and his blood spilled for us in order to bring us to God, that we can know through faith in him that God will never leave us or forsake us, that he is with us, and then in knowledge that he is with us, that we have the power, his spirit within us, and we have the partnership, God already doing it, to join with him, to make him known in our world by putting him in display as we live faithfully to him and love people well. Let me pray. You can come up and take communion. You don't have to be a partner here at the church. Just ask that you believe that Jesus died for you for you to take communion. you got some in the front and then in the back. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for how you love us. God, thank you so much for the, the, this truth of what Jesus has done for us and how you rescued us through him, and you have brought us to be with him, and that you've placed your spirit within us, empowering us to go with you, to make you known. And God, I pray that you would help us live faithfully, remain faithful to you, and love people well so that people would know who you are and what you've done for them, and that they too could come to saving faith in Christ. For your glory, God, and their good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.